ghosts. Have they become a cliché? Or can we once again examine this phenomena seriously? After all, isn't it really our own afterlife we're curious about? Let's delve a little deeper on Jim Harold's Ghost Insight. Hi everyone, you're tuned into Ghost Insight. I'm Jim Harold. So glad to be with you once again. And I think we're going to have a very interesting story for you today. Our guest is Joe Cintrone. He's been on the programs before. Joe is a musician, paranormal investigator, and co-author of the book we're going to talk about today and the experience that we're going to talk about today, The Sally House Exploring the Beast Within. It's a nonfiction account of a haunted home investigation in Kansas. Also, uh, Joe is the co-founder of the Rhode Island Demonic Disturbance Investigation Association, otherwise known, I think it is, Ridia. So we're going to talk to him about the Sally House, his investigations, and the conclusions he drew from the evidence that he found. Joe, welcome to the program today. Well, thank you for having me, Jim. It's, it's always a pleasure to be here. Um, I love your uh, podcast. It's it's really been inspiring to me throughout the past year that I've been listening, and it's just good to be here. So I, I am, uh, I am blessed. Well, we're we're glad to have you as well. So thank you for the kind words. So, uh, Joe, tell us how you first became aware of the Sally House. Okay, um, when I first started getting into the world of paranormal investigating, going back to 2005, where I really went hard on it. Um, I was listening to many different shows and they would talk about haunted places and one of them would always come up was the Sally House. Now, I never made the connection way back in the 90s when that television show Sightings was on that they did have um, sort of like a little documentary about the Sally House and then the Sci-Fi Channel had a movie called The Heartland Ghost and I wasn't connecting the dots. Um, When we were doing radio shows ourselves, somebody that I had known from Carolina got us an interview with Deborah and Tony Pickman. Um, and, you know, supposedly they were in a haunted house and there was things going on. And we said, sure, let's have them come on our radio show. So they came on and uh, then we realized that they were the ones that lived in the Sally house when all the paranormal stuff was going on. And that just embarked my whole journey on what is the Sally house and and is there truth to this? And is it one of the top 10 most haunted places in America? So for those of us who may not be as familiar with this particular haunted house, kind of give us the background on the Sally house. Well, there's many different stories about the Sally house, but I'll just give you a quick over overview of it. Basically, the Sally house, I believe it was in 1906. There was a small girl, a little, little girl named Sally that was brought to a doctor for severe stomach pain. Um, the de- doctor determined that she was suffering from appendicitis, but Sally ended up panicking and refused to hold still, which resulted in her passing on the operating table before the doctor could prepare um, her body for surgery. I think she was somewhere around six years old. Mm. And that's what really started it. And, and the, the craziest thing about it is there was never really proof that there was a girl named Sally. However, the story continues that this is how it went down. And, and when the Pickmans moved there, you know, many years, you know, later, um, they 
were faced by multiple spirits, and one of them fit the description of a girl named Sally. And over the years, I assume that there had been ongoing activity in the home. Yes. Um, after Deborah and Tony Pickman left the house, that's when the house really became popular. I mean, they were only there for a very short period of time. They, you know, encountered some paranormal activity, mo- mostly Tony um, being attacked and, and scratched and things like that happening to them. They got out of the house. After they left the house, that's when the, I, I believe the house became famous. Different investigators were going in there drawing their conclusions. What is it? Is it demonic? Is it not? Is it haunted? You know, trying to make this connection with the girl, Sally. And, and that's what started the, I, I call it the, the life force of the Sally house. I think the, 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 the whole air of mystery and, and all those things fed the energy in this home. And it, it ultimately came like a paranormal uh, haven. So you had become aware of it. When did you exactly decide, you know, I want to do an investigation on this house? Late 2006, I was part of a group called Ridia, just like you said. Um, And what we did was we handled cases in the New England area that were demonic in nature or said to be demonic in nature. Back then, Jason and Grant from the Ghost Hunters, they were handling various cases. They were going in, they were assessing it didn't really take, you know, handle so much of the demonic stuff. A couple of conversations I had with Grant, um, who we were, and he would start to refer people to us that were dealing with something demonic. Um, after that interview with the Pickmans, I went, me and my partner actually went to a producer that uh, lived in the New England area, mm-hmm. and we picked the idea, hey, you know what? If the Sally House is what they say it is, why don't we do this? I think this would be a great platform to do a three-day investigation in the home and grab it on film, and let's see if we can prove whether or not there is activity in the home. Um, You know, I I ended up getting in touch with the person who actually owns the home, and uh, we set up an investigation for, um, I believe it was January of 2007 is where we we started the um, three-day investigation. Now, this is a little bit disconnected from this particular incident, but it it reminded me of a discussion I had yesterday. Yesterday, I interviewed a, quote, skeptic for a program that I'm doing for the Paranormal Podcast. It'll be out in the next few weeks. And I had asked her the question, what bugs you um, about paranormalists or those who are interested in the paranormal or and so forth. And, and she had an issue with investigation teams who in, and I'm paraphrasing here, but in her words, were claiming to do science, but they're not doing, they're not really doing science. Do you consider the work that you do in terms of paranormal investigation? Do you consider that to be scientific? Well, that's a great question. And, I understand, you know, I've heard so many different, even skeptics that that draw their own conclusions. And and let me just say this, Um, you know, my whole paranormal vision, or my quest, I call it, began in 2005 with the death of my father. And we had a bizarre conversation three days prior to his death. And he talked to me about heaven and hell out of nowhere. 
Mm-hmm. And my father was a very rational person. And we had this conversation, and that was the last conversation he and I had. Three days later, he tragically passed away of a heart attack. That embarked me to say, did he know subconsciously that he was going to pass? Was that conversation we had um, an affirmation of what was to come? And that's when I went out and got in touch with the you know top investigators in the area, you know, and I came into it as a skeptic myself, and I had to draw that conclusion. Is there life after death? I think when you start that journey and you can gather different stories and opinions and evidence, I think you are doing scientific research. I think what happens after that, though, is you get so caught up into what's going on that you, you kind of fall away from the scientific part in, in, you know, doing your analysis on things because you're so caught up in, I got to get a picture of a ghost or I have to do that. So what starts off scientific, if, if you're not paying attention, could end up sidetracking you where you become obsessed and, and getting totally away from the science aspect of things. But truthfully, I think for, for real investigators, they're going out there to only gather information like a scientist would do of any truth to what they're researching. So I think there is. I, I think that you go into it genuinely as a work. Yes, it is scientific research. Now, Joe, the makeup of the team in terms of the personnel, in terms of the equipment that you put together for this investigation of the Sally House, talk to us about that. What was the configuration of the team and the resources you were going to bring to bear? Okay, well, I had my partner, which was um, Michael, um, both of us came from more of a Judeo-Christian, um, you know, background. He was more in a, uh, of a Catholic, you know, from that, and I was more of a, you know, uh, not a Catholic, but, but, but going into it as a Christian. So we had a couple of Christians. I had a friend of mine who was also um, a believer, but I also had a skeptic. Uh, I made sure I had a skeptic come with me. I had a paramedic come with me. I had, um, even though I, I really tried not to do it for various reasons, we even had a psychic um, that remotely was there at that investigation that brought us through that home into each indi- individual room who's never been there before, who, who lived in California. This was in Atchison, Kansas. So I tried to get uh, a team of all different beliefs, so to speak, just to, just to see where they were coming from, because I wanted to make sure if anything happens, obviously, spiritually, I wanted to, you know, prayer is very, very important, especially when, when you're covering yourself, going into a home that could be demonically infested. And number mm-hmm. two, you still got to have skeptics. You still have to have that because you need different angles to, to come up with any verification of the truth of what could be happening in that house. And, and I'm bouncing it back a little bit uh, and forth, but some of your, your comments bring about some thoughts in my own mind, and I want to go with them a little bit, and then we'll, we'll come back to Sally House. You mentioned an, uh, another thing. As I recall from our previous um, discussion, your Christian faith is important to you, if I, I recall correctly. And some of what I'm going to ask is actually because I wonder about this myself, and especially as you know, and much of the audience knows, I've had a lot of loss in my family over the last few weeks, and and 
I and our family was of the Christian faith. I wouldn't say overly religious or anything like that, but always has been of that faith. And I continue to consider myself of, of that faith. Do you believe, and we may have touched on this last time I talked to you, do you think a belief in the paranormal or a belief in ghosts and those kind of things is at odds with the, a belief in the Christian faith? You know, if if we could ask one question and, and you know, have, you know, to give an answer to that, it's so, um, it's such a, a, a fine line. There's such a gray area because, you're really over-religious people. And, and I call them over-religious because there's, there's the, you know, the commercialized church, I call it. And that's just the mainstream man-made religion part of it. And then, of course, there's true Christianity, this true spirituality, where you do have a connection with, with God or, or, or being not from this dimension, we'll say, for lack of better words. Um, but, but, you're going to get a lot of people in that uh, mainstream Christian media that's going to look at you and say, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is seeking the dead. What you're doing is, is demonic in nature. And though I respect a lot of those, um, you know, allegations, because I, I do understand when you start to tap into things that you don't know, um, beings from other dimensions, you absolutely can open doors. You absolutely can allow yourself to, to get either oppressed or, or under attack or spiritually confused. I mean, there's a lot of emotional, mental, and spiritual things that can happen by delving into a lot of the, the, the occult, we'll say. However, there's also a time that I realize that not everything is demonic. You know, uh, Christians, you know, and I'm not badging Christians because I, I'm a Christian myself, but a lot of Christians are, are come into it where they are taught that everything is demonic and every spirit that you see or, or allegation is demonic. And, and though I don't doubt that spirits, demonic entities or inhuman spirits can disguise themselves, I also know that there's something else going on that we kind of forget, that there are human spirits. And, and though they may not be in heaven or maybe they're not even in hell at that point. Um, There's the truth that human spirits do occupy another dimension. And that's where it becomes a gray area. So even if, you know, I always looked at it this way. If you could, if we could debunk it and say not every spirit is demonic and they're human, that does not disprove the existence of God and what is ultimately to come, um, you know, one day in the afterlife. It just opens the door to say, you know what, there's more going on. And sometimes we have to go out of the box to find that truth. Um, so once again, to answer your question so simple is there's a gray area. Should we tap into it too much? Um, not really. Um, can we be easily tricked by demonic entities? Absolutely. But do human spirits occupy somewhere that they can still make contact? I believe so. Now back to the um, Sally House. Uh, you just you just brought up such a, a great opening for a question there. I, I had to ask, and not to get too far off of the off of the topic. So you you assemble your team, you assemble your resources, you go into the Sally House. Tell us about the investigation. Well, first of all, neither of us knew what to expect. We're, we're on the plane. It was um, 
we had to fly from from uh, Rhode Island to Carolina, from Carolina to to Kansas, and it was a long flight. Um, when we got there, it was snowing. Got to rent a car. Went to the house. Went to get something to eat, and then went to the house. We didn't know what to expect. We pull up to this house, and it's just a small, regular-looking house. Nothing. Um, appeared to be scary, haunted, what you would picture in a movie. It was just a regular house. And I remember the producer that came with us, he was like, oh, man, I hope we didn't, you know, I I hope we didn't make this trip for nothing because nobody sensed that anything was happening. Now, we were staying at a hotel or a bed and breakfast that just happened to be coincidentally directly across the street from the Sally house called the Glick Manor. Um, that looked like more of your haunted house or something that you'd see out of a psycho movie. Um, so we went into there, checked in, did all that stuff. And then we're like, okay, here's what we got to do. Let's get in touch with Deborah and Tony Pickman. They're the ones that experienced it. We met, uh, Deborah and Tony. They, they came to the house. They take us through a walkthrough of the house. You know, and it's some regular living room, a regular kitchen, just just how you would picture a home. We went downstairs in the base basement, which um, they called the vortex, where where this portal, you know, supposedly was in the basement. We go into the basement area. We come back up. We're sitting on the la- um, on the table there, sitting at the table. Um, Deborah's t- showing us um, pictures on the laptop of of you know the former, you know, investigations, paranormal stuff, apparitions. And then all of a sudden, Tony says, I don't feel so well. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be sick. Ooh. Right, right at the midst of that, we smelled, um, lilacs. It was like a flower scent. And, and we all smelt it. The skeptic, you know, the producer, we all smelt this, this flower smell. Next thing I knew, he, he says, Oh, I think something, scratched me he lifted up he lifted up his shirt and there was a huge scratch mark on his back that was fresh blood we had the paramedic who was there um who was also a police officer he checked it made sure it was real it was you know that it was blood it was it was a genuine scratch we took pictures and it was and so that's when we're like wait a minute and and even the producer i'll never forget his face he went into it as such a skeptic and, and kind of almost mocked the whole thing, but says, hey, look, we've got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll get something. To By the end of that night, he was all over the place snapping pictures, and he, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Do you think sometimes when you go into an investigation, and, and maybe, maybe many skeptics would say this, is that, when you see or experience things, maybe they're somehow generated by the observers. Uh, you know, in the case of Poltergeist, I did a, a show some time ago with a journalist, uh, a Pulitzer Prize nominated journalist who did a book on the Poltergeist phenomenon, and in Michael Clarkson. And in general, my recollection of that interview was is that he said, "I believe this exists, and I believe that it's mainly due to some kind of." generation by the people who are are affected by particularly adolescents a lot of times who have you know enough uh, angst to, to power a small midwestern city uh so so i guess my point is is uh, do you think those kind of things they're generated by an outside entity or do you think there's the possibility some of these things can be generated by the 
investigators themselves, not intentionally, but somehow subconsciously. I believe that in certain cases that may be, you know, true. I, I think we can generate a lot of things with our, with our minds, with, with our desires. Um, absolutely. And, and especially children. Um, you know, you know, I mean, the, the, the body, the mind is, is an incredible thing and we know that. So yes, there's definitely times where that, that happens. I, I have no doubt. Um, but I will say there's also times where you experience something supernatural and unless you experience that supernatural, um, it's hard to believe that until it happens. But when it does happen to you, it's one of those things that are imprinted for the rest of your life. You never forget that. It's almost like you know that you know that something paranormal just happened or you just had an experience. I believe that we all had a desire to want to go into that home and hope it was haunted. We had the whole thought of, oh, maybe we'll get a reality show. And, you know, this is when the paranormal topic was really hot and reality shows are starting to come on. And you, you just want to will that to happen. We just happen to be in it. And I'll never forget this because one of the groups that, that met us there um, was the Kansas Paranormal Group. And, and they studied at home for a quite a long time and they were there just to observe and answer some questions if we had because they spent many nights in that home and I'll never forget what one of the, the investigators said to me um, she says you know the Sally house is one of those places that until you come in here for yourself you don't know what to expect and it just happens to be and she used to call the Sally Holmes sat on or, or was in between a supernatural bus stop. So it was a vortex for many spirits to come through. And detecting what spirits were, you know, which ones were who, that was the tough part. But it was almost like an investigator's dream come true. You would go in there, any investigator went in there, and 97% was going to get paranormal activity just because of the activity that the house had. Now, did you feel frightened at the Sally house at any time? Yes, I did. And, and here's the weirdest, and here's the strangest thing about that home. When you go into that home, we, even though we knew it, you know, after we started to experience some, some paranormal things, and, and we were grab, capturing stuff on camera as well. It wasn't just, you know, Tony getting attacked. He got attacked on three different occasions. He got scratched on his arm, on his back, and on his forehead. Um, but we were, we, were, we were capturing orbs. And I know orbs are just a basic thing that could be anything natural. But we were capturing orbs with human faces inside them. So I knew that they, I had no doubt that, they, that it, was, it was, you know, paranormal. Um, but the weirdest thing about the home is, regardless of experiencing all that stuff, it almost, the house almost welcomed you. It made you feel warm. It made you feel like, you know what, I don't think anything here is bad. You almost found yourself drawn to it, obsessed to be there. Um, you know, it, it was like, I don't think this is such a bad place. You know, even though it is haunted, I mean, the spirits don't seem to be 
anything violent in nature, you know, outside of what happened to Tony. Obviously, we know that, but there, there, there was like it seemed like there was multiple spirits in there. So even though you were freaked out about what just happened to that man getting scratched, you also felt a sense of security. And and, and the woman said to me, um, that's because there's multiple spirits. There's good and bad in this house. And then I started to make a connection. And I remember saying it to Deborah. I said, you know something? Here's, here's the amazing thing. I think that there is probably one entity in this house. And I think this entity could appear to you or make you believe what you wanted to believe it was. So if you believe <laughs> it was a child, then you would go into the assumption that it's only a little girl. Or if you thought that it was human spirits just who live there and, and is protecting all the investigators that are going there, then it was. But also running parallel to that thought, I've always had in the back of my head, it's something dark that is playing with your mind to get you more obsessed. Till eventually, then bang, and then you become that catalyst, then you become that victim. And that's when I started saying, you know something? I think we're being set up. You know, it brings to mind that old, uh, that old saw, come sit beside me, said the spider to the fly. Um, and, and what you say there, really, that's one of the things that scares me about this uh, area more than anything. It's one thing if you knew when you felt you received some contact or something happened, that if something that looked kind of evil happened, you could say, ah, that is an evil entity. And if something reassuring or pleasant happened, you could say, ah, that's a friendly entity. But this idea that these entities can mask their identity and, as you said, uh, be what you want them to be, that to me is one of the most uh, frightening pieces of this. Whether it's in the Sally House or anywhere else, how do you discern that? That's exactly the problem. It's hard to discern that because we all have our own assumptions. Oh, this is, this is, you know, a scared, you know, we'll take the Sally house for instance. This may be a scared little girl and she may be behaved violently or there's a girl in the home and then there's an evil entity in the home and the, the, the girl wants help, but the evil entity won't, allow that to happen. I mean, there's so many different things, but still ultimately I truly believe now in, in, you know, even Deborah and Tony Pickman who actually argued with us that you guys are trying to emphasize this being more demonic and in that, that may not be the case so much to eventually, you know, a year later say to us, you know, something, you guys were right, and we just didn't want to see it. But there is something evil in that home. And as long as investigators constantly use that Sally House as a science lab, then, then, then we as investigators, or we as people, are feeding that energy, that negative energy. We are feeding that and giving life to the Sally House by giving it attention. She finally realized that it was demonic. And here's, here's the mind blower of this whole thing. Every one of us that were involved in that house after all had something, some sort of repercussion that we faced. 
whether it was somebody going through a divorce, somebody losing their jobs, somebody losing their homes, somebody going into a rehab. Everything, every investigator had some negative effect after leaving that. And then when I had talked to um, Tony Pickman, after that happened, he's like, well, Joe, you know, that's what happens. People who leave that house, if they don't get violently attacked, something negative happens to them for going into that home. And ultimately, for me, my son, within a year after leaving that home, got attacked by an entity. Mm. Something he felt, um, something pushed on his chest where he couldn't breathe. He had a scratch mark right across his head, just like Tony. Mm -hmm. And he was flung six feet across the room. Called me in hysterics. I wasn't even home when it happened. My mother witnessed it. Says, your son was just attacked. And then I said to myself, you know what? I went into a very dangerous territory because, number one, I obsessed over trying to find if there was truth to a haunting in that home. I also took a producer because maybe in my mind, I was deceived by fame and having a reality show. Mm -hmm. And as a repercussion, my son got attacked. And I all look at all that as a blessing. I look at that, that the outcome could have been a lot worse. And I took it as a warning that maybe I shouldn't be involved with this for motives that go outside of helping somebody because my true motive always was as a Christian to not obsess over the paranormal, but to go to homes, assess if they're haunted, if the people need help and whatever we can do, whether it's a blessing in that home to, to rid of negative energy um, entities in that home, then, then that's what we'll do. But I think that we all got clouded by fame and the possible thoughts that if we can get a lot of evidence in this Sally house and reopen this case and make a documentary, we can get a show just like everybody else. And that's where I think we got blindsided by what I call is fame's deception. And that's why I wrote the book, The Sally House, Exposing the Beast Within, because it never, the whole book wasn't about anything good that we've done. It was about everything that we did wrong and how nothing came about of anything because our motives weren't genuine. And, and that's when I wrote the book Seduce, the ebook um, last year, which is doing really well right now, um, because it was that. I was seduced by everything that I went, that I always said that I was never going to be involved with. And, and that is... Um, you know, that is the, the best advice that I can give somebody which segues how we open the show with you asking me that question. As a Christian, should you be going in these homes? Should you be involved with this? And, and the truth of the matter is, is no. Unless your motive was to help somebody and, and you truly need, you know, you truly are there to help that person and, and not to, to um, puff yourself up or have a, have a hidden agenda, um, it's a very, very dangerous, gray, shady line that I would warn people that don't get involved with it unless your your motives are, are pure in nature. Interesting perspective, interesting information. If you were faced with a place like the Sally House, is there any hope of ever cleansing it? Well, you know something? Here's what I would say, Jim. 
And I would say to any of your listeners out there, if somebody came to you for help and you knew that there was a way that you can help them, whether it was, you know, helping them in a physical addiction, a, a, a spiritual, if you knew that you could cleanse the home or, or cleanse that person or help that person cleanse their thoughts and defrag everything in their mind and then start anew, yes, you can do that. I truly believe by the power of prayer and the will to change your life, you can do that. Here's what happens. A lot of people, whether it's, you know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, always seem to tend to go back and, and, and repeat those things again. And that opens that door for those triggers to come back. Now, in the supernatural world, it works the same way. If you're ridding of something that you want to change or an entity that's in your house, whether you move or whether you rid that, and then all of a sudden, maybe a month goes by and you find yourself feeding into that again. Well, it's going to be a revolving door. You're going to find yourself always falling back, going in, falling back, going into this, this oppression type of thing to, to really rid of the problem. You have to totally walk away from it. And I think what happens with the Sally house and places like the Sally house, you know it's bad. You you know you shouldn't be there. You know you know you're opening yourself to to a lot of um, physical or, or harm or spiritually uh, spiritual attacks. But it's the desire. It's the the rush of adrenaline that that paranormal investigators have, or or even victims to have to go back there. Um, I think what we do is we feed the paranormal. We feed these these entities by our own desire. And, and that becomes a revolving door, which I don't think will ever be closed because of it. And the media has capitalized so much on paranormal investigation, investigated that, that it glorifies it. it. It almost glorifies investigating. Anybody can do it. I mean, you watch a show on TV, you're so caught up on the characters and what's going on. Um, that you're like, well, I'd love to get a flashlight and a, and a camera and an EMF detector and go into the home myself. I mean, it makes it like a hobby that 10-year-olds can do. But truthfully, when you step out of the box and, and looking at it, you have to look at what you're doing. You are seeking the dead. You are seeking things that you can't see that you know that are real. And once you come to terms that you know that the supernatural realm exists, and then you tap into it, well, you're going in suspicious territories. It's, it's, it's like shark-infested waters that you can't see what's there, but they're there. And the more you poke and prod and do things to, to attract them, well, you're only setting yourself up for failure. So um, I think that the media has made seeking the, the dead for profit and gain um, a very dangerous, dangerous place um, for, for people who um, don't know what they're doing, who are getting involved with this. And, and it's, uh, it's sad, but that's what's happening. Now, if I understand correctly, you continue to investigate today. And if I'm wrong, correct me. But if I'm correct, and you do continue to investigate with all of the things you just mentioned, keeping those in mind, why do you continue to pursue it? 
Well, what I've done, Jim, you know, even after probably last year, not too long after our, our interview, um, I was at, after writing even even seduced. You know, people were writing me saying, you know, I, I commend you for what you've done. I understand why you did it, but where do you stand now? After knowing everything that's happened, where do you stand now? And, and truthfully, between, you know, doing conferences and, and writing the book, my whole motive has shifted. If a family wrote to me and said, we are in dire need of help and nobody will help us, we have something in our home and we want to be freed for this, I will get a team or I, I will refer them to somebody to get them help if I can't do it or be there um, physically myself. I will do that if somebody is in need. I, I, I truly believe to if somebody was in a fire, you're not going to save them from across the street. You're going to go in there and pull them out. If I assess right. that a family is truly in need, I will do what I can to help them. And if I can't, I will find somebody. But now for me to, to go assess a home if it's haunted, um, I don't do that anymore. When I get emails, I, I just hand them off. I simply hand them off because I'm not going to go assess if your home is haunted because if you say it is, Chances are it probably is. I don't need no more, any more proof that the, the supernatural realm exists. I know it does. I know the dangers. All I can do is give friendly advice to, to that person or, or refer them to somebody else. But after what has happened and what I've learned in, in these years, I learned to say, you know something? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not just going to go into a home to assess it. I don't need to do that. I've done that before, and I've been blessed enough to make it out um, without any harm. So yeah, the, the truth of the matter is over the past year, I have backed away from doing it, um, for science. Um, and I backed away of doing it just to do it. I will only do it if somebody's in dire need. Joe, it's been a fascinating discussion and really a different perspective. And that's something that we want to do with this program, Ghost Insight, get insight into this phenomena and get different perspectives. So a little bit different probably than what most people expected, uh, but certainly thought-provoking and interesting. Joe, if, you want to, if people want to find out everything that you're up to, all of your different projects, where can they go on the web? They can go on my website, which is www.joecitrone.com. There you will find out what's going on, conferences, um, books. And right now what I've done is I put a photo gallery up there so you can go into the Sally House case, which I called it the, I titled it the Dark Hauntings Project. There are photos in there. There's photos from, you know, other investigations where you can, you can take a look at some orbs and orbs of faces and kind of draw your own assumption. You know, you be, you be a jury and you go on there and you assess it for yourself. Um, if you need to get in touch with me, my email address is there. Um, but if you can't, you can easily go to Mercy Falls um, six two four at yahoo dot com. Ask me any questions, um, audio, EVPs, anything like that. I'll be more than glad to help you or, or find somebody that can help you if I can't. But uh, yeah, basically, you can find everything there. And my book, Seduced, um, is on Amazon Kindle right now, and it's doing very well. And I thank everybody who's. Um, definitely supported me with that, and, and hopefully good things are coming in, uh, in, in for the remainder of 2013. 
Well, Joe, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to be on Ghost Insight. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the program. We hope that you're enjoying it. We're excited about it. I will make this mention. Um, this month, because of all the personal turmoil that I've been through, we got eight episodes out this month, or will uh, by the time the um, month is over, we'll have eight plus episodes, is which we committed to. We wanted to get up to 10 a month, and that should happen next month in May. The mix may not be exact this month either, but we'll get you your promised eight episodes a month. The next month, we're shooting for uh, 10 episodes. So just wanted to make that little programming note. Thank you all for your patience and all of your well wishes. And we'll talk to you next time on Ghost Insight. Have a great week, everybody.